here we are in this era with the Band-Aid now being fully ripped off. And if you are in a elite executive suite like Iger or Zaslav, you have to be thinking in this everything is on the table era that you have no choice but to fight to get your best content on your streaming service, no matter what your obligations are. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, September 11th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I dig into the future of ESPN after its massive cable dispute with Charter Spectrum. With streaming rights for sports scattered across so many media companies, how exactly will sports fans end up watching their favorite teams? We also look at the acquisition of talent and entertainment agency CAA by a private equity behemoth and why this is probably a win-win for everybody involved. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. It's Media Monday, of course, and I'm joined by the puck boss man, John Kelly. John, the NFL season started this weekend. Shocker to our listeners, we record this sometimes before 3 a.m. on Monday morning. Uh, But there is a big Monday night football game this evening. A big uh, showdown between the Jets and the Bills, an AFC East showdown starring Aaron Rodgers making his debut in New Amsterdam. But the backdrop to this is that people might not be able to see it because of the ongoing carriage dispute between Disney and Charter Spectrum, which is affecting customers in New York and LA. I've talked about this, (laughs) I feel like on the last three podcasts, but I cut the cord finally because I wanted to watch sports. I said, goodbye, Spectrum. I need my college football, need the NFL. I want to watch the US Open. I got YouTube TV. I talked to Matt about this. We did an event at the California Chamber of Commerce last Thursday where this came up. Everyone was really interested in whether we're witnessing the collapse of the cable bundle. Uh, Dylan and I talked about this last week as well. Dylan certainly thinks we are watching this in real time. Do you think the same? Well, I definitely think that we're going through an almost like powder keg moment where unexpected events are happening. You know, there's no question that long-term the cable bundle is going away. And we've been seeing that for a, almost a generation at this point. There are, you know, one way you know you're you're living in a smaller industry is that there are fewer companies, fewer competitors, and they jack up prices. We, we've seen that in every shrinking media industry um, that, that we know, music, publishing, magazines, like uh, ad infinitum. And uh, it's happening in cable. It's also happening simultaneously in in. Uh, in media at the highest level, we talk every week on this show about how, you know, there are four or five big media companies, there'll probably be three in a couple of years, and that's just the way it's going to be. And that's the sort of Coke, Pepsi reality of the world. But what's so interesting here is that you have this late stage, you know, I don't give a shit era Iger, who has sort of begun this negotiation, recognizing that he is ostensibly willing to walk away. You know, Matt reported uh, after you guys got home from the uh, Chamber of Commerce event, and he wrote that uh, long piece, but great piece about CAA, he, he noted that uh, the Hulu numbers are up, which is probably a result of uh, people watching Hulu plus live sports 
on streaming rather than, than mm. tuning into uh, charter in, in the New York and LA markets. So th there is a short-term bump, but I, I can't, I, I would not believe that Iger knows where this is going to go. I think he, he thinks it might lead towards a exacerbation of tensions and a real movement towards the total destruction of the bundle, which is possible. Like I would have said a, a month ago, no way this happens this year, but it's possible that now CNN is going to sort of stick this, its finger in the eye of the carriers and simulcast cable television on Max, which is a, a big, big no-no, and that ESPN will, mm -hmm. you know, will do the same and, and it'll play uh, programming, college football, et cetera, on ESPN Plus, which is another huge no-no. Like that's, that's really possible. The Spectrum Charter, Charter Spectrum, whatever you want to call it, has, um, has also uh, signaled that it's in a a cratering unrestructurable business so yes it is definitely it's it's ending but what's extraordinary is again i i, I use powder keg like with hyperbole but in the same way that you know archduke franz ferdinand was shot by uh prince Shep in you know somewhere in central <laughs> europe in, in in 1914 and all of a sudden you know within months the world was at war with itself in, in with these two alliances like this small seemingly small move between Disney and Charter, I think is really setting off a, a powder cake in the industry. And no one knows where the ball is gonna bounce. You know, being a history dork, I must correct you. Not Central Europe, but it, it was uh, Sarajevo. Sarajevo, oh, uh, that's right, I'm and, struggling. And basically, oh, I'm Bosnia. so sorry, yes, right. It's a goal now. <laughs> Julia would uh, dock you points for that. And I feel bad too, because I, I think on this show, I've referred to uh, certain people as having Marshall Tito-like um, qualities. So I should, uh, um, <laughs> I should know better. <laughs> you know, it was interesting, John. I, you know, I was on the phone with Spectrum canceling. God, so so many people have like heard my stupid like. I Wednesday know your morning, your cord like, cutting journey. Call annoyance. My cord cutting journey. Look, I was just trying to speak my truth. You're on the powers that be. And I also realized, by the way, I am five to ten years behind a lot of people who cut the cord a long time ago. This is mostly habitual for me. It's like me getting home delivery of the local newspaper. It's just like something I've been doing forever, uh, paying for cable. The guy on the phone with Spectrum was like, he basically asked me, uh, has the recent dispute between Disney and Charter affected your decision? And I basically was like, yeah, man, it doesn't really help. Uh, and he was trying to sort of like renegotiate with me a lower bundle. And he basically said, like, you can uh, you can just send us back your cable boxes and we can uh, you can stream Spectrum through the Spectrum app on your smart TV, which was like, again, probably an obvious thing to a lot of people. But I was like, oh. Getting rid of the cable box itself, just like the physical annoyance of that is like a nice little weight off my shoulders. Like I've always hated those stupid things and now you don't even need them anymore. And again, that just strikes me as one more step toward streaming. Like we don't need the hardware. All you need is the TV and a bunch of apps and you're good to go. But speaking of ESPN, I've tried over the last couple of years to watch games through the ESPN app and like ESPN plus on my television and you go in there and you can't watch LSU Florida, you know, but you can watch like university of Northern Iowa play North Dakota state in college basketball. Like, what is that about? Like, why can't I go on ESPN and just watch any game I want? Well, uh, before we know it, you're going to be returning your AOL CD ROMs back to uh, the company and say, Hey, I don't even need this anymore. I think I'm going to be able to, <laughs> to handle this whole Wi-Fi thing too. Uh, you know what, what you're what you're getting at is um, 
is one of the real frictions here. And it's funny because we all use these services. We see it uh, more clearly here than we do in other industries. You know, YouTube TV is a phenomenal product and it actually has an interface that looks the most like cable to, to, to people our age and older who are used to seeing a yep. back of the New York Times grid. And I think Julie Alexander has made this point many times that that's a very comforting site. But there are there's a rebundling that makes this all very, very annoying. Part of what worked about cable for so long was that no matter how awful the cable companies were, no matter how fleeced we all felt for paying for a thousand channels that we never watched, you know, Viceland 3 or, or you know, Food TV 4, we knew how to get what we wanted. TV land. Uh, exactly. But we knew, we knew where to go. And everyone knew that it was all through the same interface. You're, you're hard to get rid of, you know, Spectrum Charter Box or, you know, eventually the app. Now, as the walled gardens emerged and then fell apart again, rights are um, have been distributed among different carriers. They present, prevented other distributors from carrying them, particularly around live and, and sports. And in sports in particular, there are, you know, contractual obligations to not simulcast something that is on a cable provider. And this is, I mean, this is the big, big thing. And and it, it's the, the, the dam that's going to break here. If Charter Spectrum is paying ESPN all this money to broadcast LSU Florida on ESPN, then they damn sure want to have an exclusive there so that ESPN Plus can't broadcast it. And, and you know, Matt and Dylan have made this point many, time, uh, many times before that part of what we're seeing in this sort of, you know, this development of, of streaming or this era of streaming as the big companies sort of dip their toe from, from the bundle to streaming or, or, or try and, you know, push that, submerge that toe dip is very similar to me to what we saw when uh, the news companies began doing this about 10 or 15 years ago. Like, for instance, you'd go to the New York Times, which was then free, you know, this is around, uh, again, the, the, the dark days of the Carlos Slim predatory loan era, and the Times might be free, but they'd have something called like Times Select or Times Membership, which would give you all this content mm -hmm. that you never wanted in the first place, but would, but they would make you pay more for it. Like here's you know here's the here's the backstory on a report that you probably didn't read, or or you know here's a video of Mark Bittman preparing to make some you know eggplant fennel quinoa recipe, and they just didn't have the guts to move the main product behind a, what they called a paywall then behind a subscription service. And so that's what we saw, um, we see with ESPN Plus, and it explains why ESPN Plus is probably the most underperforming of the of the products in the Disney bundle. Not not probably, it is. Uh -huh. um, I think 11 million of the 25 million people who sign up for it actually use it. And it's why CNN Plus, no matter what people say in retrospect, was obviously a terrible idea. Like it was a expensive infrastructure play, making a lot of stuff that nobody wanted, uh, but it was a sort of initial foray into this. Anyway, here we are in this era with the Band-Aid now being fully ripped off. And if you are in a elite executive suite like Iger or Zaslov, you have to be thinking in this everything is on the table era that you have no choice but to fight to get your best content on your streaming service, no matter what your obligations are. Re you've got to restructure, mm -hmm. renegotiate, and the easy money from the cable providers, which has been you know a constant recurring revenue for a long time, if these providers are going to follow the path of charter and say, "Hey, wait, not so fast. You guys can't keep you know fleecing us," then the decision gets easier and easier to make intellectually. 
But what will be challenging, and this is, I felt like I saw a smaller version of this early in my career in the magazine business, you're constantly changing the 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 plane mid-flight. You're you're constantly changing workforces. You're constantly rebuilding, and you know, and that's going to mean uh, a lot of workforce transfer. And it's a it's a it's a really really significant transformation. And I think it's why more and more you hear executives coming out. And uh, Diller is a good example in a conversation recently with Kara Swisher, saying it's unfair to lump these companies with Netflix. We now see the power of the Netflix Netflix pure play. It doesn't have to worry about any of these unbelievably complex operational challenges. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have these linear mm-hmm. obligations. It doesn't have these contracts. It, it it just it you know it moved past them. And and for years, Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery have, have tried to to convince Wall Street to value them like tech platforms. When Wall Street wouldn't do that, it, it wouldn't apply the same multiple to their EBITDA. And I think now we see more clearly than ever why that's the case. Wall Street always knew there would be these reckoning-style moments where massive restructurings would have to take place. There'd be a ton of M&A, a ton of legal work, a ton of, of HR work, and it would provide companies like Netflix and, and the, the big platforms, Apple, Amazon, et cetera, to just uh, push forward because they didn't have to worry about these, these headaches. And they are colossal. I mean, just truly colossal headaches. And by the way, no shade to the North Dakota State Bison. Uh, you know, very, very talented basketball program. Also, fun fact, John, I bet you didn't know that Ilhan Omar, uh, the congresswoman from Minnesota, went to North Dakota State, along with Carson Wentz. Um, Bellany was talking about this last week at this panel we did down in beautiful Laguna Beach uh, with the chamber. The Netflix like power dynamic is also very interesting in terms of the negotiations with the writers and the actors in terms of their strikes, because you have as part of the Alliance of motion picture and television producers over here, like Paramount, Sony universal. And then over here, Amazon, which, you know, we stream stuff and watch movies on there, but primarily is selling paper towels and diapers. And then Apple, which is selling iPhones and AirPods, you know, Netflix is the only one there. That's like purely just like a dominant, streaming service and they don't have like these different layers of bureaucracies and these different rights deals and different hardware like they just are standing on their own and so it's just interesting that like both an old-timey place like sony pictures is also involved in the negotiations with netflix and the writers and the actors i think have different relationships with those two different companies and yet they're like bundled together in the AMPTP. It's just a very fascinating dynamic. One of the challenges of the AMPTP is that those are all, as you point out, they're, they're, they're really different companies. And while Netflix is, you know, exploring ways to like franchise out some of its its bigger properties, it doesn't have to worry about its theme parks simultaneously. It's not necessarily, at least to our knowledge, focused on trying to buy the rights to the NFL. And so we're... Mm-hmm. It, it, in this negotiation, one of the things that makes it so complicated and maybe one reason why these these work stroppages or strikes have gone on for so long is because the incentives aren't entirely aligned on either side of the table. I want to talk about CAA being purchased for, what, like $7 billion uh, after the break. But real quick, just for our listeners to think about like how this stuff works, uh, you know, we were talking about ESPN and their carriage deals. Dylan has reported on CNN 
and their streaming strategy. And basically what they're doing or planning to do is simulcasting some of their signature programming, their signature TV programming, uh, the lead with Jake Tapper, the Situation Room will show Anderson Cooper and basically simulcasting that on CNN Max. So, you know, that from a consumer perspective feels like a good thing, but the cable companies got to be a little frustrated about that because not that CNN is the same kind of appointment viewing as Monday Night Football, but like those three shows, for example, are better than creating like a second tier streaming broadcast (laughs) just to pump through CNN Max. And so that these challenges are going to flare beyond sports. John, I want to take a quick break and talk about CA when we come back. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back to the powers that be everybody if it's monday it's media monday i'm joined by john kelly john i was hanging out with bellany the other night and he it was it was what a pleasure to witness reporting in person by the way it looks the exact same as political reporting it's just like a lot of phone calls coming in a lot of a lot of texting but uh matt was you know every agent at caa was calling him uh with their take on the talent agency and entertainment company basically being purchased by a big private equity backer. What, what can you tell us about this? Why should we care? Well, uh, Artemis Group, which is Francois Armé Pinot, the the French fashion mogul, uh, his, I guess, family office, which also owns Christie's, the auction house, bought 53% of CAA. This deal has been negotiated for a while. Matt first broke the news in May that they, the sides were talking, and now it looks like they've, they've formalized it. The, the deal will probably close before the end of the year. So that 53% accounts for the, I think, 51% owned by TPG, the private equity firm, which is also a founding investor in Puck. It seems like a good deal for everyone. Um, TPG put in their first investment, I believe, about nine years ago at a 1.1 valuation. So if, it, if the, the company's now valued at $7 million, uh, that's about you know 6.1x, uh, pretty nice return on investment and it seems like the 
the triumvirate partnership, Lord Huvane and Lovett are all staying as co-chairman. Lord's being elevated to CEO. Um, you know, I'm sure uh, that's a, a recognition of, of a sort of a role that he's had um, at the company for some time. And what's so interesting about CAA is that a while ago, they doubled down on the notion that they were in the representation business, uh, which mm-hmm. was a, a sort of juxtaposition to WME, uh, which is a, a large piece of Endeavor, now a public company, which is in the media business. So, you know, WME is the Ari Emanuel entity mm-hmm. that he merged or I guess combined with Ultimate Fighting Championship and with uh, professional bull riding. And they own a bunch of, of live sports interests. And it's a public company now. It's worth about $10 billion. So CAA representation business alone is worth about seven in the private market. Very interesting juxtaposition in itself there. But the fascination here, of course, is what happens next to these representation businesses? You know, CNA, uh, sorry, CAA completed a, a pretty large acquisition w- within the last year that makes it the largest agency in Hollywood. It rose to prominence in in the 80s and 90s in the you know the heart of the blockbuster era but that world has changed and now CAA is in a number of other industries which I, th- I think it, it grew into under TPG's watch I'm not trying to like shill for an investor here but I think I think TPG did a pretty amazing job turning CAA into sort of a Goldman Sachs of of entertainment where they were a part of the deal flow of every single thing that involved celebrity and, and entertainment, influencer culture, sports, et cetera. And they made about a billion seven in 2022. And that's, you know, they're in the recurring revenue business now. Like back in the day when Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks and, and that generation of stars were at the peak of their powers, stars made movies every couple of years. And they obviously they made a lot of money off of the DVDs and there were long stream, uh, there was long stream IP. Those deals all changed. Writer packaging eventually changed. And there was a focus on being in the recurring revenue business. And CAA found uh, has found in the last decade or so, so many areas where they've been able to activate the firm to, you know, to, to, to broker a piece of the action in the, you know, the annualized revenue business. I, I, a very simple practical example of this is sports itself, where, I mean, just do the math. Think about the number of professional athletes and coaches in every single professional sport. They're all being paid annually, cutting 10% to their agent in, in the agency. That's a phenomenal business to be in. That's a better business to be in mm-hmm. uh, from a management standpoint than the movie star business, where maybe you can you know, get a $30 million deal, as Brian Lord did for Brad Pitt to, to star and direct in, in an F1 project for Apple, but Brad Pitt will do what he wants to do. And I think what CAA did really successfully was recognize, okay, you know, there's – what it means to be a star now is different. And if movie stars want to have the sort of careers that we're seeing now where they they act and then they invest and then they become brand ambassadors, how do they help them transact? How do they help them get into their own tequila or gin business or private aviation business or rosé business or, or whatever it is? and really open up the pie in creative ways that are outside the realm of traditional entertainment. And uh, that's, you know, that, that's what they accomplished. And it, it seemed to me, obviously, I haven't like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I haven't seen the numbers beyond what's been reported, but this seemed like a 
really successful outcome for everyone. And Matt noted in a really great piece last yeah. week, right, that he was that he was drafting when you guys were in Laguna Niguel. This is an example that you can still come to Hollywood and make a ton of money. We've seen so many examples of big of mm -hmm. big firms come in, try and do things their way, and and just walk away saying, "Oh my God, these people don't get it," because Hollywood is a sui generis economy. And this is an example where a large private equity firm came in, proved to be really successful. The founders or the or the principals did really well, and they found a perfect owner who manages who has a history of managing luxury assets. And and I don't think it's a stretch to say that CAA is absolutely a luxury asset. In his What I'm Hearing newsletter uh, on Friday, Matt wrote that no, TPG didn't get the IPO, that some had considered the preferred exit and basically mentioned that, you know, Endeavor bulked up and they, they IPO'd. But like, this is still a significant like liquidity event if you have equity like the agents do in caa like it's a this is great oh this my god absolutely there uh you know you don't need to ipo to to cash in on your on your work i don't know this again i don't know this at all but i would presume that this is a more elegant exit than an ipo now w uh endeavor rather ipo which is obviously a special event in the culture right to to, to to ring the bell or whether you're on the NICE or the NASDAQ. Uh, it, it's a it's a, an extraordinary sort of totemic accomplishment. But staying private, to me, seems like a preferred outcome for an agency. Uh, you know, a, a firm that's been historically managed privately and probably doesn't need the, uh, the excess scrutiny of the public markets and probably doesn't want to have to educate Wall Street analysts on the value of its business. It, Matt made a, a good point in, in what I'm hearing about how WME has the, the industry with the business rather within Endeavor has underwhelmed Wall Street analysts. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that CA would want to have to go through that, that uh, process of education. Just ask Elon Musk. He doesn't have to tell anybody anything about how Twitter is doing because this company is now private. How many DAU do you have? <laughs> he won't tell. Um, John, thanks so much, buddy. I'll see you in the Slack. Have a good week. All right, you too, brother. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.